HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. If your food media diet is fueled by HRN, become a monthly donor today. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexa Santos, a food editor at the Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Throughout season four of the Feed Feed podcast, we will be trying to help you solve the daily question that we are all faced with, which is what's for dinner? Each week, we will be speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community who are a constant source of ideas and inspiration and help us get dinner on the table every night. Today, I'm joined by Emily Fedner, a.k.a. Food Lover's Diary on social media. Emily is a cook, content creator, and TV host with a special affinity for carb-based foods. Emily is the child of Soviet refugees and lives by the mantra that food is the universal language. Check out her recipe content and restaurant reviews on social media at Food Lover's Diary. Welcome to the Feed Feed podcast, Emily. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, We're off to a great start, but minus the the hectic intro that was not recorded, which I'm really thankful for. Uh, (laughs) But I am super excited to be here. Thank you for the lovely intro. Yes. Yeah, no, I felt good about it. So (laughs) (laughs) I felt good about introducing it. I figured you would like it. (laughs) I loved it. You killed it. Great. So I know a little bit about you and have been following you for a while and obviously kind of caught up on everything it is that you do. But let's start with like the initial spiel. I know obviously being from Soviet refugees, kind of what's that whole story of you kind of starting there, growing up? What's kind of like the early Emily days as it pertains to food? Totally. So um, I have loved food and been around food my entire life, but I started working with food when I was 15 years old. I worked at a uh, local pub, but you know, even prior to that, being that my parents were Soviet refugees, my grandparents were Holocaust survivors, um, food was the way we celebrated our culture always. And when you come from a Russian Jewish family like I do, there's a huge emphasis placed on meals and feeding everyone. So, so from an early age, I loved food, and I, uh, you know, I 
associated food with happiness and gatherings. And also growing up in Columbus, Ohio, I immediately recognized that the food that was uh, we were eating at my house was much different from the food we were eating at my friends' houses. So uh, early on, I kind of, I was kind of uh, aware of the difference uh, and the cultural association of food. So um, what, were, what was some of that stuff you were eating? So lots and lots of smoked fish, which is an obsession of mine that continues to this day. Uh, lots of smoked fish, lots of pickled fish, 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 fish at all times. Um, <laughs> like different kinds of smoked and cured meats, lots of potatoes, lots of root vegetables. So like... Um, my mom would make a lot of borscht, which is, you know, a very common and popular Russian beet soup, a lot mm -hmm. of potato salads. And I grew up uh, when I was at least in the early days, me and my twin sister, Franny, we were raised by our grandparents primarily because our parents were busy starting their lives over. So we really got the full dose of Russian foods. And my grandpa had a <laughs> garden and he, he, he made everything from scratch, bread, wine, you name it. So I think I got a lot of my uh, culinary love from him. Oh my God, bread and wine from scratch. That was just like casually happening in Columbus, so Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. No, that's like very, like you were spoiled then from a young age with like very high quality, like love filled ingredients. It sounds like. Absolutely. And, um, it was, it was clear to us um, that there was a lot of love in the food. Everything was homegrown and homemade. And I'm really grateful for the time we got to spend with you know, kind of growing up with my grandparents, I do think that is really where my love of food started. Oh my God. I love that. So you were, what, to what extent were you involved like in the kitchen from a young age? Were you kind of like helping your grandpa with stuff or what were you kind of doing when you were little? Well, I was very involved in the whole eating aspect and trying really <laughs> hard to um, like get under my grandparents' shoulders or whatever. I was always in the way is what I'm yeah. trying to say. And I was always trying to like get little scraps and try things. Um, but it wasn't, I wouldn't say that um, I had an interest in cooking until maybe a little bit later, maybe like when I was 11 or 12 or so. And uh, I talk about this dish a lot, but my babushka Lola, who is my constant source of inspiration. And I was very, very close to her. She's my mom's mom. Uh, she had a signature dish, which is called variniki. If you've been to Veselka in New York, you've tried them. They're essentially Ukrainian or Russian pierogies. And mm -hmm. I have very vivid memories of sitting around her rickety kitchen table with my twin sister, with this dough in front of us and this mashed potato caramelized onion filling, making these varinki. So those are probably some of my earliest cooking memories. Oh my God. Well, that sounds delicious. So do you still make those to this day? All the time. I <laughs> love them. Um, I'm probably skipping like 14 chapters ahead, but I have, I, uh, have my grandma's recipe for varinki in my dump, my digital dumpling cookbook, dumpling lover's diary. So, um, I make them all the time and I constantly encourage others to make them. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. No, skipping, skipping several chapters, but it's a good, like, we'll come back around. We'll circle back around and bring it, bring it full circle to the, uh, <laughs> to the Love dumpling it. lover's diary. Um, so I just planted you the seed. started working in, you, you said you worked for a pub when you were 15 and that, you yeah, that, 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 <laughs> that might've been 
created a little bit of a misrepresentation of what was going on. I got an after-school job as a hostess at a local restaurant. It it was kind of like a pub-style restaurant. It's a chain in in Columbus, Ohio. I'm not sure if it's a chain anywhere else, but it's called Rusty Bucket Corner Tavern. It's a Cameron Mitchell restaurant, and it was my first job. I was 15 years old, and, uh, you know, I was just looking to make a little extra money. In my family, we all work really hard for everything. Nothing's ever handed to us, so I wanted Mm. some money, so I had to work for it. Um, and I was a hostess and I remember just immediately falling in love with the camaraderie of restaurant life. Um, I always call it like this. It's like this, there's this mutual commiseration, uh, and it's a bonding experience and I loved it early on. And, uh, from that moment on, I think I was, I was hooked and I went on to work at, as a ser- as a hostess and a server in other local Columbus restaurants, um, from from lower end to more fancy spots, and kind of just got a pretty pretty well rounded front of house experience uh, throughout my high school and college years. Awesome! I actually did the same thing. I worked well. I wasn't a server, but I was a hostess at multiple restaurants in my hometown. I feel like that was my parents were both in the restaurant industry their whole careers, so I feel like that was just like the obvious choice of like, oh, I need a summer job. Like, I guess I'll be a hostess at the. And I think I worked at a sports bar, so we have like a very very similar story there. It's, it's um, a great unintimidating place to start. Where's your hometown? I'm from like the Fort Lauderdale area, so around it's. I don't know if you probably don't know the area at all, but it's a suburb <laughs> of Fort Lauderdale, you know, <laughs> Florida life. Yes. So that's great. And you, so you went from kind of working front of house. When did you start transitioning into kind of the more cooking side of things? Did you go to culinary school or what was kind of the more formalized culinary training that you underwent? Yes. So I wouldn't say I had any formal culinary training. I, the, the, the trajectory, oh my gosh, the trajectory was that, um, I, you know, I, after I finished school, I moved out to LA and I had an internship as a publicist for chefs and restaurants. I didn't even know, like coming from Ohio, I had no idea that that was an actual job. Um, I, I thought that jobs in the culinary world were kind of relegated to working inside a restaurant, being a chef. I just didn't realize the depth of culinary careers that were available to me. So I became an intern and then eventually got hired by a food PR agency. Then I moved to New York and worked at Becca PR, which was an amazing experience. I worked with some super amazing clients like um, Michael Simon and Jenny Britton Bauer from Jenny's Splendid mm. Ice Creams, Ignacio Matos, et cetera. Hi, everyone who I'm <laughs> Um And then... And then um, as much as I loved my clients and I had such a great experience, it was clear to me that PR wasn't where I belonged. So I, uh, I, I just had this specific moment. We were at a client meeting and I was sitting with the PR team and the owners of the restaurant kind of just discussing the PR strategy. And I looked across the way and I saw everyone gathering for family meal and I just wanted to hop that fence. I just remember feeling like I belong over mm-hmm. there. I don't belong here. So I had that strong, strong feeling and, um, I started touring culinary schools. I toured a couple, but they were super expensive. Like the six month programs were $40,000 or something like that. So rather than go into debt, um, I decided to just work for free. So I became a stage at Frankie's Spuntino in the West Village. Um, 
so I was an intern there yes. essentially. And that is kind of how I got my feet wet in the cooking game. I was an intern. That, I'm, I'm like just rambling no, I on love and it. on, but I was an intern there um, for like a month or two. And then someone quit or you know how it is. And they needed a line cook and I got hired and that's where it all began. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm on the edge of my seat. This is really like, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of twists and turns here. Like, I love it. So you we're getting trained, I guess, then in like kind of Italian and you obviously love pasta. You, you're bringing this, to, I'm, I'm trying to fill in all the gaps of now you, I know you do a lot of pasta, um, cooking and creation and all that. So you were kind of getting well-versed in Italian and pasta there and then just kind of continued that or what happened? Yeah. There? I mean, I, my love for eating pasta started extremely early on. I could regale you with all these random memories I have of of uh, going to Hilton Head Island and ordering a shrimp pasta and f- being absolutely blown away. I would credit that moment with really starting my pasta obsession. But <laughs> there's actually some kind of noodley vibes in Russian food too and in Jewish food. Like Kashavarnishki is very Jewish. So I started with my love of eating pasta very early on. But um, yeah, I remember when I was at Frankie's, watching the pasta guy who would come in during the day to prep because all the pastas there were handmade, like mm-hmm. the ricotta gnocchi and, and whatnot and the cappatelli. And I just remember being mesmerized. He worked so quickly. He was so detail-oriented. He was so agile with like his tools. And at that point, I'd never made pasta. I think I'd made pasta from scratch like once before, but uh, something basic, like I made a ravioli. And I just remember I was, it was like flashback vibes to what I was like with my babushka. I was under his arm all the time, like peering over his shoulder, trying to see what he was doing. So I was so mesmerized. Um, And that's, I would say Frankie's is where I learned more about pasta, uh, you know, cooking natural pasta, but not making it. That came after. That's where the, the obsession with learning how to make pasta started there. But I endeavored to do it kind of on my own afterwards. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, this is, I love this story. This is great. <laughs> so you start falling in love with pasta. You're getting, you're working at the restaurants and then, and then what happens? And then, and then, um, I, so I was a line cook for, you know, about a year, I would say. And it was, you know, it's no secret that it's such a demanding and strenuous job. And I loved it so much. And I learned I would say, not that I don't really like ranking anything, but if I had to say the most important moment of my career and kind of professional life, I would say it was being a line cook. I have, I just gained so much knowledge and work ethic and discipline. And I also think that I did something that was really scary to me and something I did not think I would succeed at. Um, And I just, it was the beginning of a long road of me proving to myself that I can do a lot more than I think I can do. So I really loved that. And it was really important for me. Um, I eventually, when I realized that I did not want to go down the path of becoming a chef or, you know, I didn't really want to move up the ranks. That wasn't Mm -hmm. my goal. I got what I needed from the line cooking job, which was a lot of confidence and things like that. And I, uh, and all the while during the line cooking, during the PR days, I was, I had Food Lover's Diary, the Instagram account, mm-hmm. um, which has always kind of served as an actual diary, I guess, of what I eat and what I cook and has evolved and matured along with me. Um, and I, I'm so grateful that I have everything recorded from the time I was 20 years old till now I'm 28. Um, 
so I knew that I wanted to do something with it. I always have had the dream of being an on-camera personality. Um, less so, I wouldn't say even an on-camera personality. I just feel like my favorite medium for expressing myself and expressing how much food and culture mean to me is through on-camera work. Mm -hmm. And I just knew that I wanted to pursue that, but I wasn't sure... I wasn't quite sure how to, how to go about it. It's a really intimidating thing. It's like you have these lofty goals, but you're like, okay, great. But what do I do today right now as I'm trying to figure out my career? Um, so I ended up calling on an old PR contact of mine, uh, which was the owner of Chinese Succedo because I knew I needed to make money. I knew I needed a flexible job while I continued developing everything else. And I became a server at Chinese Succedo, which was also some of the best and most fun times. Um, so that was the next step after back of house, back to the front of house. I went, there you go. Then you're just flop it all over and do it, (laughs) run it back. Wow. Okay. This is like quite a journey. And I'm, so you are still then at this point, kind of cooking and kind of creating content and kind of practicing and like honing those skills or like how is your cooking style kind of evolving throughout this like you know what I mean so this is where things get really interesting because (laughs) I had more time on my hands uh with my, my more flexible serving job and I was cooking more and more at home and really realizing that my happy place is listening to stories about murder, drinking wine and cooking. That's the (laughs) trifecta for me. And I was, (laughs) I was just realizing that I loved cooking so much. So in a, in a very serendipitous turn of events, I had bought some Ruffetto's fresh pasta at Zabar's and I cooked a dish with it. And I was like, damn, this pasta is delicious. But I didn't think much of it. I tagged Raffetto's because I always try really hard to um, support small businesses and Mm -hmm. support immigrant-owned businesses. That's kind of the unifying theme that runs throughout my social media. Um, And as it happens, Sarah Raffetto, who's about my age, my peer, reached out to me and was like, hey, I saw this awesome, you know, photo you posted. And we just started to keep in touch. And then a couple months later, she basically reached out and was like, I have a dream of having a female chef-driven pasta pop-up series at my family's store, Rafetta's Fresh Pasta. It's uh, in the Greenwich Village. It's so amazing. If anyone listening, if you haven't yet been, you got to run there because there's just nothing like it in the city. And she was like, would you want to do, you know, would you want to kick things off? Would you want to host the first dinner along with me? And I was like, absolutely, yes. This couldn't have come at a more perfect time because I was really missing the more professional aspect of line cooking. You know, mm-hmm. I, as much as I love cooking for friends and family and I love cooking stuff for Instagram, I cook because of the closest it brings me with people. I love cooking for others. Um, and I love cooking for not just friends and family, but for strangers. I like uniting people through food. And I, I, I was craving a more professional output for my cooking. And so I was like, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. We met, we basically, it was so funny because she had slid into my DMs and we always joke about it. It's like a modern love story. (laughs) And we threw our first dinner together and it was such a blast. And we we were like, do you want to, do you want to be exclusive? And I was like, so then we we decided to, and that's how Petite Pasta Joint, my pasta pop-up and private events company was born. Oh, wow. Yeah. What a little meat cute that you guys had. <laughs> so then you, you were hosting, how often do you host those? Obviously I'm sure the pandemic threw a wrench in things. I assume. Oh, yes. <laughs> of course it did. 
Um, but uh, we ha- held a couple of pop-ups that summer. Uh, that was in the summer of 2019. And um, during that time, it was actually, it's, it's July. I mean, I don't know when this podcast is going live. It's July right now, mm-hmm. um, which means that exactly two years ago this month is when I became I was, you know, becoming so busy. I had launched Petit Pasta Joint. I was, because I was incorporating more cooking content on my Instagram, the brand campaigns were coming through and I was Mm -hmm. kind of, I was a little fledgling with that. Like it wasn't self-sufficient yet, but I was kind of seeing that there was the opportunity to create content as more than just like a tiny little hobby. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's when I left my serving job and went fully, fully on my own with it. Um, And, and yeah, so we hosted plenty of pop-ups that summer and, and private events. We had some awesome private events as well. And then the he, who, she, whatever, who must not be named happened. And, um, that definitely, we, we had a hiatus and it was sad. And I, a lot of things were sad during that time, but I was sad we couldn't cook for others for sure. Yeah. So now you, I I saw you just hosted one kind of recently, right? They're, They're back on. Yes. So as of, so we, we had, um, yeah, we, we took a break, of course. It was very important, obviously, to be responsible mm-hmm. um, with the pandemic. Um, but we, as of this summer, kicked off our Petite Pasta Joint summer pop-up series. So we've been hosting two dinners per month um, all summer long, as well as private events. And um, we, I could not be happier. It's truly my happy place. And I think with Petit Pasta Joint, Sarah and I originally, and, and it's it's not off the table, but we originally were putting so much pressure on ourselves to create something huge out of it. But we just realized that what it is now is what's perfect for us, which is a pop-up and a gathering space and a place to just laugh and enjoy pasta and um, meet people. And we love keeping it a pop-up because that keeps it special and it keeps it sustainable and feasible for us to do. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like an absolute dream. I'll have to come to one. It sounds every time I have to. Yes. Every time I see you post about it, I'm like, Ooh, I need to do that. (laughs) You absolutely do. It's time. I mean, and so what are some of this, like an example of some things you have on the menu? Like what type of pasta are you, is your expertise there? Totally. So Sarah and I love to say that we are decidedly untrendy. Um, We are both super, or were unfortunately, both of them have passed away, but we were very close with our grandparents, my babushka, her nana. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge reason why we bonded. So our food takes inspiration from our grandparents all the time. Um, One dish comes to mind, which is we did like a fried zucchini two ways because I grew up eating um, zucchini cut into um, circles and dipped in batter and fried. And Sarah grew up eating zucchini matchsticks dredged in flour with fried and then served with lemon juice. And both of our grandparents made us this zucchini dish And so we served it on a platter both ways. And I just thought that was a cute homage to our grandparents. But as far as pasta is concerned, we love seafood and we love, we think it's, there's no, you know, Alexa, you know this, there's no shortage of amazing Italian food in New York. And there are so many places that do the amazing classic dishes so well. That's not really what we want to contribute to this environment. We really want to keep things unique to ourselves. So um, an example of a dish that is 
one of our favorites, our classics, especially in the summer, is our sweet corn caramelle with a miso brown butter sauce and chives. Oh, man. That one's probably a signature. And then recently we did a Bianchianeri um, tagliarini dish with crab and botarga. We just love, we love powerful flavors like botarga, andia, spicy and salty and fishy, all of that. Um, so that's, that's something that runs throughout our food. Oh my gosh, you are killing me. That sounds so good. <laughs> I know, I just started watering, not going to lie. <laughs> oh my God, that sounds amazing. So as far as your cooking style goes, like even, you know, when you're making dinner for yourself or whoever, are you doing kind of, you're, you, it seems like you kind of hold true to your roots and pretty much everything that you do. But I guess day to day, what does dinner look like for you outside of content and petite pasta joint and just when you're cooking for you and loved ones what what type of stuff are you making I make the weirdest stuff Alexa I mean (laughs) I think that anyone will answer when people have these aspirational dinners I'm just like where do you have the time I mean by the end of my day if I'm prepping whether I'm prepping for petite pasta joint running around taking meetings, um, shooting campaigns. Like I, the reason I was late today, spoiler alert, everyone, I was late. Um, the reason I was late today is I was like in the middle of Times Square shooting a campaign. And by the time I'm done doing all that, dinner is not super chic. I'll tell you that much. It is <laughs> like, um, I, I, one of my staples recently has been this salad where it's just you, I love raw corn in the summer, like raw sweet Ooh. corn, avocado, raw onion, tomato, um, whatever else I have, like whether it's arugula, I love keeping it raw and and really light and fresh. I've been making this dressing for that salad. By the way, I'm a firm believer that salads are better when they don't have lettuce in them. Oh, hot take. It's not always the case. Hot take. Yeah, I should have probably prefaced that before everyone (laughs) fell out of their seats. Hot take. Um, But that's one of my favorite salads. The dressing is like a rice, wine, vinegar, sesame oil, soy sauce, honey kind of situation. And then this has been a weird obsession with mine over the last couple of weeks. I love crab stick salad. So I get the crab sticks from, usually I get them in Chinatown. I kind of shred them apart and I make a salad with kewpie mayo, something spicy, a little bit of sesame oil, a little furikake. And that is like my protein or whatever you want to call it for Ooh. the salad. So something like that. Sometimes dinner is as simple as like popcorn that I do up with my favorite um, chili oil. It's a chili oil called Holy Chili that my friend Sasha makes. It's like Chinese Jewish chili crisp and it's addictive as all hell. Like I cannot stop eating it. Um, But I I love that. I love making turkey meatballs. I love making chicken thighs. Um, And you know what I really love doing too is ordering sushi. (laughs) (laughs) Same. Oh my God. More than anything. And I feel like we, the Amami, which you recommended to me is my place now. Like I order from there. Do you live live near me? I didn't know that. Oh, we should probably not talk about where we live, but. (laughs) (laughs) No. Yeah. I mean, I live in Long Island city, so I'm a, I think you recommended Amami to me like for a while ago and I order from there like at least once a week. It's so good. So have you, do you order their lunch specials? No, I've only ever gotten dinner. Okay. So here's the move. You have to, if, I don't know if you're in the office right now or not, but if you are home, you should absolutely take advantage of their lunch specials because 
They are such a crazy good deal. Um, you can get like a three-year-old combo for 15 bucks or something. Mm. Comes with a miso soup and a salad. They have these amazing like sushi sashimi dish platters and shirashi. I just I just highly recommend it. I'm a big right. fan of Mabami. I introduced it to everyone for like the casual neighborhood sushi spot that's not too expensive, but still high quality. Yes. All right. Well, now I want sushi. So we're going Wait, from... Uh, sorry. <laughs> Uh, not to cut you off. I just got really excited. Have you, have you had a, a forma yet? Forma. Is that Italian or what is it? Forma pasta. It's like literally next door to Amami. Okay. That's your next assignment. And as far as neighborhood restaurants that are amazing, Forma Pasta Factory. And I, I will, I stand by this on the record is some of the best pasta in New York and it does not get enough hype. It is a, they make their own pasta. It's dry pasta. Well, it's extruded fresh, so it's not mm-hmm. an egg pasta. I think it's like a semolina water dough, but they extrude everything on site. Their pasta is insane. It has this crazy chew. Every pasta dish is like 11 or $12 or something like that. They, they, their pipette with white ragu, with herby white ragu, is might be a contender for one of my deathbed meals. I have like oh, six wow. defined meals. Highly recommend. Oh my goodness. I I probably have ordered in from there before, but it's all kind of blurring together. But I feel like it's probably better if you go in person. I feel like fresh pasta doesn't do the best for delivery. Yes. Their pasta is pretty sturdy, but I would definitely say just go there. It's just such a like also lovely experience. It's so casual. I'm just such a casual gal. I love it there. Just a casual quirky gal, you know, just so quirky. So I'm just so, I'm just like that, you know. <laughs> what, what, what do they say on TikTok? The pick me girl. I'm definitely not that, but. <laughs> oh, God. Well, whatever, you know, you own it. That's the best part. It's self, <laughs> self-awareness is key. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like so chill. It's just such a chill girl. Just a guy's girl, you know, just hanging out. Oh, I'm definitely. Absolutely not. No one's ever described me as chill. <laughs> <laughs> same, same. Oh my God. Well, anyway, well, now that I'm starving for pasta and sushi and all of the above, tell me <laughs> some <laughs> ingredients that you always have on hand in your kitchen. All right. Are we talking fridge or pantry? Either. Okay. Um, I'll start with pantry because that, for some reason, just speaks to me. I am a pantry fiend. I always like to say that the Russians had pantry cooking down um, from the get-go just simply (laughs) because of availability and the cold climate. I always have so much tinned fish. I have anchovies, sardines, mackerel, um, tuna at any given time. So I love like, I love Fishwife. It's this kind of new-ish brand out of California. They have amazing like smoked rainbow trout, smoked albacore. I also love Bella brand sardines and mackerel, but really I'll take anything. I just love tinned fish and I constantly eat it by itself or I cook with it or eat it with crackers. That is a perfect snack for when I'm lazy and, or just really busy. Um, also in my pantry, I always have panko breadcrumbs. I love using pinko. Um, I wish I could just take you over to my pantry right now. I'm like, why am I blanking? There's just like so much in there. So many Um, things. I always have furikake and chili oil. So I always have the holy chili that I had mentioned earlier, the Mm -hmm. Chinese Jewish chili crisp. And I'm also obsessed with mom's mala sauce. It is an amazing small brand uh, Sichuan chili oil. It's numbing and so delicious. I eat it on my eggs every single morning. Um, so those are some, so those are some, I mean, I always have the, the, all the, you know, usual contenders like soy sauce, sesame oil, um, 
what, et cetera, like every form of spice possible. Um, shout out to Burlap and Barrel Spices. They are, I'm, I promise I'm not trying to promote all these brands, but sometimes <laughs> I just think that they deserve it. Like Burlap yes. and Barrel are, are an, it's an amazing um, equitably sourced spice company, single origin spice company. So I, I definitely stock up on those spices when I can. Mm, fridge. Okay. Fridge. You're like, you're like, damn it. I regret asking this question. This no, I'm answer. like, um, no, I love it. I'm <laughs> taking all this and really just processing it and thinking about things For, I need to buy. So <laughs> um, my fridge, my fridge staples, I would say are a little bit more basic. I always have eggs. I eat eggs almost every single morning, usually fried. I have a very specific jammy egg method that I do every morning, which is that I fry the eggs and then I use the tip of the spatula to poke the yolk mm-hmm. right away so that the white forms over the yolk. And then when you flip the egg, the actual yolk itself isn't exposed to the hot pan. The white kind of forms a seal around it. And if you don't let it go for too long, the yolk ends up kind of jammy, not runny and not hard, but jammy, which I love. So always always whole milk. I am the last person on earth that has, that uh, consumes regular milk. I do too though. I do too. Do you? Oh my gosh. So we're the last two on earth because everyone, everyone's all on their oat milk and stuff. But I, nothing, like nothing against oat milk. I just really love good whole milk. Um, I always have like some kind of deli turkey. I have lots of charcuterie at all times. My mantra for life is to always be prepared for guests to stop over. So I have (laughs) at any given moment, I have tons of different cheeses, tons of different like cured meats and crackers. Just I'm always ready for a charcuterie board. You're at a moment's notice, you're ready to throw a charcuterie <laughs> board together, which is yes. a very important, I feel like, adult thing to do. And I now totally. feel like I should do the same thing. It's honestly, it's a game changer because um, cheeses and those cured meats, they don't really go bad. You have to let them go for a very long time. And you will always, you'll just feel so cool when you can just pull out, like, I don't know some kind of fancy cheese and feed people right away. And they're like, wow, you're such a great host. And you're like, yeah, I know. I know it. (laughs) Okay. Well, hosting tips, food tips, restaurant tips. We're getting it all right here from Emily. This is all very important, (laughs) important (laughs) Intel, which I am loving. So tell me, Emily, who inspires you? I'm going to be super cheesy. I have two very cheesy answers, but unfortunately they're just the truth. Um, My number one inspiration is my babushka Lola, my mom's mom. She is the strongest person I've ever met and an amazing cook. Her and my grandpa, Fima, were amazing cooks. Um, But her inspiration kind of really extends beyond the kitchen for me. It's just how she led her life, how strong she was, how kind she was, Um, you know, how, how much integrity she had. And I try to live my life that way. So whether it be in my career and cooking or outside of that. She is a huge inspiration. But as far as a culinary inspiration, cheesy answer number two is Anthony Bourdain. Oh, I knew Um, you were going to say that. (laughs) Of course. I think everyone says that and there's a reason for that. Um, Something I've been thinking about a lot lately is that even though I love cooking so much and it will always be a huge part of my life, a huge part of what I want to do and what I think I want to use my voice for is highlighting other people and Mm -hmm. other people, other communities and immigrant communities. Um, That's a lot of what I do on my Instagram. And he's, he is the first person that I saw doing that in such an amazing, unique, respectful way where I was just like, 
I can't believe that. Like, I was just blown away by the different worlds that he was showing me um, via when I was young, much younger, yeah. watching, <laughs> you know, Parts Unknown and whatever else. I think No Reservations, all his shows. Um, and his books are incredible too. Him and then also uh, Jonathan Gold, who is the late uh, food critic for the LA Times. When I finished college and I moved to LA and I had no clue what I was doing, because if anyone tells you what they that they know what they're doing after college, they are lying. Yep. Um, I moved there and I was literally Googling cool jobs and food. That was that was cool no. jobs um, and food. <laughs> that was a, a, a true Google search of mine. That's a vibe. Um, That's a vibe. It, totally. But I, meanwhile, while I was searching for this, you know, cool job, I was reading all of Jonathan Gold's articles because I had a, I was subleasing an apartment in Thai town and I was reading his stories about Thai towns in particular, this restaurant called the Sap Coffee Shop. And I, I, I think I credit my time in LA as, and some of his writings with really inspiring me to um, explore and, and not feel awkward and just kind of explore other people's worlds through their food. And um, both of those men, there's a lot, plenty of women too, but mm-hmm. um, both of those men really kind of taught me how to view the world through the lens of food. Oh, well, those are great inspirations and not that cheesy. I mean, the, the, your, <laughs> <laughs> your grandma, definitely not cheesy at all. That's a great one. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Bourdain, I do hear that one a fair amount, but it's valid. It's valid. No shade. It, it, it's valid. He deserves it. Um, but there are plenty of amazing culinary inspirations everywhere. I've been lucky enough to, outside of people I haven't met, like Anthony Bourdain. Actually, I met Jonathan Gold once. But um, outside of that, you know, there's plenty of people that were important to my life in the culinary world. Um, I would say Danny Amond, who was the uh, executive chef at Frankie's, was mm-hmm. really helpful and supportive to me and um, really helped instill a lot of confidence in me, especially when I was freaking out thinking I made a mistake, working in a kitchen. Anyways, I could go on and on. I'm very grateful to everyone I've been able to meet and who's helped me. Well, that's great. Oh my gosh. Yeah, those are those are good ones. You you really, you came through in the 11th hour with some good inspiration <laughs> <laughs> answers, which is- important. I hope I've been inspiring prior to the 11th hour, but that's good. <laughs> so tell me, how often do you grocery shop? It is so random. Um, you know, I and so I have a friend who is a a recipe blogger, a food blogger, and she's so amazing, Kylie of Cooking with Cocktail Rings. And I feel like she is so organized and so regimented. And every time I'm like, I don't know how Kylie does this because <laughs> I I just basically um, when there are specific dishes I want to make and recipes I want to develop, um, or when inspiration strikes, or when I have a, a campaign I am responsible for. Uh, that is kind of where the bulk of my shopping gets done. Um, other than that, whenever I see the fridge is empty, this is like the most boring answer ever. Um, whenever <laughs> I see the fridge is empty or I'm out of one of my staples, I take a trip to the grocery store. Um, but I would say unlike most, uh, you, not that's not true. That's a generalization, but um, a lot, a lot of people love shopping for clothes or shoes or hair products or whatever the hell it is, but I genuinely love shopping for food. I can get lost in a grocery store or a specialty store. And that is, that is how I have my fun, but it is much less practical than it is fun for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Especially like a really, like a good grocery store, like a nice one with like a lot of good options. Like you can just have a ball in there. It's Speaking a good time. of which, I 
I have to plug Raffetto's again because that it's so small, but it is a place where you can just kind of walk around and explore and just I just love staring at every single product they have. Well, that I mean, sold like game on. Yes. <laughs> I'm gonna go. go. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. You may have noticed that we have a whole new look. We also launched a new website that's going to make your listening easier and more enjoyable than ever before. HRN is the original food podcast network. And as we enter a new chapter in our 12-year history, I want to ask you to invest in HRN for the long haul. If you rely on this show to fuel your food media diet, become a monthly sustaining member today. Our members keep the voice of America's food movement alive and kicking. Your donations support this podcast along with 40 other shows on Heritage Radio Network. Your contribution helps give HRN the security we need to stay on the airwaves throughout the pandemic And your continued support is allowing us to reopen our studio. Plus, we like to give our regular members special treatment. So sign up to become a monthly donor and get access to our secret menu. We've gathered together exclusive discounts and offers from some of your favorite food and beverage brands. So you get to enjoy insider pricing on goods that will ship right to your door. Join our community of monthly donors, and special deals will come your way throughout the summer. So can you make a gift of 5 or $10 a month? It'll show me and our whole team at HRN how much this podcast and food radio in general means to you. Become a monthly sustaining member today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. So now I have a, a probably the hardest question. So it's a game of G-rated F Mary Kill, and it's between <laughs> three food items that are probably okay. very hard for you to choose from. So oh we've, I know what you're going to do already. Okay, we're going to do pasta, mm-hmm. cheese, and mm-hmm. eggs. Oh my god! Yeah, it's the real. It's the hard stuff. All right. Oh my god! <laughs> have I mentioned I'm really bad at making decisions? Oh, me too. Um, okay, I think I'm gonna have to marry pasta because I just don't think I would be able to live a happy life without it. Mm-hmm. Um, That's fair. And I can eat it consistently. And I am the one woman PR team that's uh, constantly trying to work against the smear campaign that carbs are carbs are experiencing right now um so i feel like i just have to keep keep my love for pasta PR team. <laughs> big pasta that's you yeah exactly exactly um so pasta gets married gets married i i marry pasta um i think i would ha- have at that point i think i would have to f cheese mm. And then kill eggs. Wow. As much as it sucks because I eat eggs every day and that was really not how I thought I was going to answer yeah, this question. Yeah, me Cheese just gives me the... I feel like for an F, <laughs> you're looking for like a one-time oh, thrill yeah. that is awesome and rich and exciting, but like can't be a consistent part of your life maybe. Yep. 
I think maybe cheese. Mm -hmm. Cheese fulfills that role. Pasta I can't live without. And while I love eggs to death, I will just have to figure out another breakfast situation. Yeah, that's true. There are other breakfast options if you get right down to it. I mean, it's. I mean, honestly, like you could have a breakfast. You could have a breakfast sandwich without eggs. Like if you have a bacon cheese with no egg, is that weird? Sure, but like you're getting like the egg itself doesn't have much flavor. It's more like a conduit for the bacon and cheese. That's true. It's kind of like a. I don't know. I don't know if I want to call it a filler, but I don't think it's an essential player. Oh, wow. Whew. Well, I'm we sweating because that was that was very stressful. I was stressed out too, don't I? <laughs> I had a feeling that was going to be hard for you, but you did it. You came out with flying colors, and I'm proud of you for making the tough choices here on this podcast today. I thought you were going to ask me, which is something someone's asked me before, is between pasta, noodles, and dumplings. Ooh. And that is impossible, and also pasta and noodles are the too similar. Thing. So. yeah. Yeah. yeah, I tried to keep, I tried to diversify it. So yeah. You did a great job. Thank you so much. I'm going to put that on my resume. Mm-hmm. Really good job <laughs> at hypothetical food sexual games. It's great. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, was there anything else, Emily, that I did not ask you about your your culinary journey, life, food, anything that I did not touch on yet? Um, No, I mean, no, I, I think you did a great job. I think that it's as always with these types of interviews, it's super hard to fit in years and years of, of mm-hmm. work and evolving into um, an hour or, or, or um, however long this is going to be edited down to. And I, I just think that uh, I, my parting words, or I guess my overall message is that I think food is so, I'm so grateful to, the, for, to communities like Feed Feed etc. for bringing people together, people who love food, because um, it is, it is just, uh, there's that one quote, it's like, uh, people who love to eat are the best people. And I fully agree. Yay. Well, I'm so happy to have you here. And it was so great to like learn about your story. And I feel like I knew from afar little bits and pieces of this, but like piecing it all together and learning about how you became the wonderful woman that you are today is very, very <laughs> exciting for me. <laughs> it was so much fun. I had the bu- I had a blast. Thank you so much for having me on. And if anyone wants to, oh wait, you're doing an outro. I don't know why. Yes. I'm just gonna just plug myself. Yeah, just go. Yeah, you go. <laughs> you take over, Emily. You do the outro. <laughs> okay, so I'll do my version of the outro, and then you can do it out. No, I, no, you know what? You do the outro. I, I believe it. in you. I got it. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is the Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Feed Feed, and don't forget to follow Emily on social media at Food Lovers Diary. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur who has helped you solve the question of what's for dinner, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. 
and we couldn't do it without support from our listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening.